0: Welcome in to the Cyclone Scoop, everybody. I'm Alex Halstead here with another edition. As promised, we're going to get to spring football in this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. And to do that, I'm joined by Dylan Montz of the Ames Tribune. And Iowa State just wrapped up spring ball, 15 practices. Um, Spring ball is one of the most important times of the year, I think, for building a program. But it's kind of one of the least public, I guess, times of the year, especially now with no spring game. We got to see two hours of practice had some takeaways from that but overall you're just kind of hearing about what's happening and not seeing what's happening and so we just have to take the staff and the players at their word that this progress is being made but i think when all said and done there's a lot of interesting stuff that still goes into into spring ball with position battles and obviously early enrollees like a Brees hall this year at running back taking big steps so um, i thought i'd have dylan on to recap um, spring ball what we know of spring ball again no spring game for the second consecutive year but Uh, Dylan, thanks for being with me, and uh, I think we'll have a lot to dive into here.
1: Yeah, it's kind of interesting, and thanks for having me, but spring ball is is kind of interesting because a lot of it does happen behind closed doors, and it it almost kind of mirrors what Matt Campbell said uh, a couple different times this spring. He he said, um, you know, there's a lot of positions, obviously, that are important and undecided and uh, you know you can talk about the offensive line or wide receivers some running back defensive uh, backs but um, you know there's a lot of talent there but until you really get them under the lights and kind of see them in game uh, it's it's hard to know exactly what what you're getting but I know they're they're encouraged about some of what they're building and um, it, like you mentioned spring is kind of a time where you can kind of dip your toes into it a little bit and, and start to figure out some things as you get into
0: the off season. So uh, to keep this orderly, as orderly as it can possibly be, let's, uh, go offense first. And then we'll, in the second half of the episode, go onto the defensive side and we'll just work our way through the position, I guess. Um, maybe that's too structured and things will get a little all over the place, but uh, maybe a little bit easier to follow if we go position by position. And so let's do it that way. And then we'll kind of wrap it up and, um, talk about, I guess, spring ball as a whole as Iowa State goes into what's now really the true part of the offseason. I mean, the offseason really is just, um, I'd probably say May, June, July. Even then, they're in Ames anymore working out. So, college football has changed a lot in that regard, whereas there's there's really no true offseason, but as Iowa State embarks on the offseason. But let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, quarterback, not a big question because we know Brock Purdy's the guy, a guy that completed, I think, 66% of his passes last year, a new school record, obviously, all the numbers are there, but I think it's still interesting to to think about it in terms of this is his first spring ball, and I think my big takeaway is that Iowa State can now really mold things around him. Last year, you put him into the system several games into the year, and he's just kind of going on the fly. Now they have Tom Manning back, A, but B, whether Tom Manning was back or not, they can do things that fit Brock Purdy's strengths and maybe work around any deficiencies he, he has. It's no longer just him on the fly. I think when he gets into August 31st against Northern Iowa, it's going to be Brock Purdy's offense.
1: Yeah, this is the first time in a really, really long time where you have you know ultimate confidence in the quarterback, and, and that's not to knock Kyle Kemp last year, but there's obviously things he did well and things he didn't do as well. But with Brock Purdy, him being so young, he's still even coming into his game a little bit. Um, as a whole and we obviously saw him him throw the ball really well and, and be able to run too and that that dynamic of, of being able to kind of um, you know improvise a little bit and and then also play to your strengths um, it really kind of just changes what the dynamic of the offense can be because you can scheme around him a little bit more and and you know talking to the different coaches and, and talking to to Purdy himself he talked about, just how much better of a handle he's got on things. Uh, Having, obviously, nine games of experience where he was the primary guy last year is going to give you confidence. But then to have guys looking to him now and having him being a rallying point and and going to him for, for questions and answers it kind of changes what, what his role can be. But obviously, um, the skills are there and, and now he's just building on it. But um, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does now with a full off season, spring included under his belt and, and kind of how the coaches can tailor some
0: things around him specifically. I think the biggest question at quarterback is not obviously who the quarterback is. It might not even be who the number two is. And we'll get to this maybe later. But the big question for Iowa State in 2019 might be Brock Purdy staying healthy because I don't think anyone can on the roster can replicate what he, what he does, no matter who the number two quarterback ends up being. If Brock Purdy's healthy, this offense can be really good. If he's not, they're going to have to obviously change a lot of what they do. So Brock Purdy's health, I think, is probably the biggest question for this team. And part, part of that is – just because how good he's been, and Matt Campbell said he's special. I mean, they said last week they went back and watched parts of that Oklahoma State game, and he was getting to his second and third and fourth reads in his first game, and some of those throws he made, if you go back and watch them, obviously he was just dynamic right from the start, but so they can't replace that with Real Mitchell or John Kohler, but it also feels like there's some questions there. I know Real Mitchell just, we don't know a lot about him because we haven't seen him. It sounded like in the bring game, I guess, so to speak, the 15th scrimmage, that he has a tendency to maybe try to scramble. And I think that's probably some of it in an experience. John Kohler, I assume they could mold similarly or in a similar way to what they did with Kemp. I mean, if they could get, not take anything away from Kemp, but if they could mold Kemp into they really ran the offense around him, they could probably maybe do something similar to John Kohler if they needed to. But it just, I think they're okay with the, the quarterback depth, but, You know, Brock Purdy's health is probably going to be the big thing going into the season.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of what the off season, you know, and I guess uh, kind of even going back to the middle of last year when you lose uh, Zeb Nolan to transfer, he obviously, um, you know, would have been nice to have in terms of just having experience and being in the offense. But again, I think um, you can kind of tailor some other things around these guys. But it, like like I was kind of talking about at the beginning, the the biggest thing is just the unknown. You don't, you don't really know what Real can do once he get to into into a game and and you know live bullets are flying so to speak and. John Kohler even didn't play a ton at Oklahoma State, but he's been in a program, so you can kind of feel confident maybe about the calming effect he has. And, and obviously, uh, you know, Matt Campbell's mantras, players, formations, plays. And so that's kind of all where it starts and, and where they would go first if they had to. But um, not to jump around topics, but again, that's where an offensive line is, is going to be so important, how much growth that group has made. So you can uh, have Purdy feel com- comfortable in the pocket and not look to run first. You can keep him upright and and healthy because that is going to be the biggest thing. How, how durable
0: can he be? And obviously any program, if they've lost their best quarterback or their quarterback would struggle if, if Clemson – lost Trevor Lawrence, they would be a completely different team. They wouldn't be the very heavy favorite to win a national title. So it obviously would change. I think the one thing fans can feel comfortable with is that Matt Campbell's went from Jacob Park to Joel Lanning to Kyle Kemp to Zev Nolan to Brock Purdy. And it seems like every time they've started to tailor the offense to fit those quarterback strengths. So um, when it was Lanning, there was obviously a little bit more run focus when it was, um, you know, Kyle Kemp, you know, he was good in the short game and still taking shots downfield. So they, they've always tailored it. So if something did happen with Purdy, obviously they hope hope not. And he held up well last year even when he took some hits. Um, you probably as a fan maybe feel a little bit comfortable at least with the fact that maybe they would tailor the system to John Kohler or Real Mitchell or whatever that might be. But I just think it's going to be really interesting because – how those guys develop because Purdy is such I think such a wide difference between Purdy and the number two that it's not like maybe it was before where there wasn't as big of a difference between Kyle Kempt and Zeb Nolan so that would be interesting but moving on to running back it's a position that seems like it has a lot of battles but Campbell kind of downplayed this position um, in talking to us for the final time he didn't bring up the running backs is one of the big questions and I think that's because they have a lot of bodies there but they must feel good also about what's there because you know, he highlighted receiver and defensive back as the top two and then running back he was asked about it, and it sounded like he feels pretty comfortable.
1: Yeah, he, he talked, to, he was asked about the clarity in in terms of what a depth chart could look like and he really didn't go into that. He kind of went a, along with everybody and I don't necessarily think this is going to be a situation where they go by committee, but I do think they feel comfortable at least with with the top couple guys. Um, Kanaina Wongu, I still think is the odds-on guy to be be the starter, um, you know, going into preseason camp and, and maybe in, even into game one. Uh, but uh, I think uh, Brees Hall has showed a lot of people some some good things, and he's so different. Again, this is kind of the one of the things I always talk about. But being a guy that's six one and two fifteen, so he's what nine or ten pounds heavier than Kene Wongu, that just makes him such such a different um, you know type of player back there because he can be a little bit more versatile. He can be physical, and you can kind of move him maybe in into integrate him into the passing game and things like that but uh, yeah I think it they're probably going to stick with maybe those couple guys just because I I feel like they've maybe separated themselves a little bit but again I I don't think it's necessarily as as concerning maybe as other people would have thought when you lose a guy like David Montgomery and then again you're going to add Jirel Brock uh, this summer too so it's going to be a pretty uh,
0: loaded room in terms of the options that you can go to to at least try some guys out. Yeah. One of the more interesting things that I heard from the final scrimmage was that uh, it was Brees Hall and Sheldon Crony taking most of their reps with the first team and Kanae was taking more with the second team. It's hard to read into that too much from people seeing one scrimmage because maybe they're, it's like a typical spring game used to be where they're not using, say, their, their number one back as much and they're giving different guys chances. I think throughout the three scrimmages they have, they probably use the different guys. So I don't want to read into that too much, but I almost start to wonder if K'nei Nwangu or Sheldon Crony will be the number one back to start the season, and this is going to look like it did in 2016, and it's going to be kind of like the David Montgomery uh, plan where you want to go with the veteran earlier on because you don't want to throw in Brees Hall or Jairo Brock or whoever it might be, but by midseason, maybe one of those younger guys is taking more of the carries. That's what it was Montgomery's year where – from day one maybe they didn't feel comfortable maybe it wasn't even comfortable it was just like they don't want to completely change everything at running back and so they went with Mike Warren who was coming off a thousand yard season but by mid-year it was kind of clear that David Montgomery was a guy and he became the guy maybe it is Kanae or Sheldon early and then Brees Hall um, really comes along because it sounds like he really came along from practice 1 to 15 and there's probably going to be things like for him that are more like blitz pickup and mental stuff than it is physical.
1: Yeah, and Crony is kind of an interesting story. It, he even, when we talked to him earlier this spring, he even said uh, a lot of people probably didn't think he was going to be here. And he didn't even know if he was just kind of given all the adversities faced with injuries and kind of being buried on the depth chart. But he's really been a guy that I think they've – you know, and, and Kanae has a lot of experience too, being in the program for as long as he has, but they've really kind of, um, you know, leaned on Sheldon to kind of be the, the guiding force within that group. And he does have experience. He played uh, a lot as a reserve behind Montgomery two years ago when, when Montgomery was injured and then um, was a little bit more up and down last year just because there were um, guys like Kanae who was back and and then Johnny Lang as well. But I think he he is kind of an interesting case, and he's built a little bit more like your prototypical running back being a little bit more compact, compact at 5'11". Um, but again, I, I think that, that's a good problem to have, to have a number of bodies back there, because they all do give you something a little bit
0: different. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think the reason Campbell feels comfortable is what we just went over, though, is Sheldon Crony, Kane Nwangu, and Brees Hall were all out there in the spring. We didn't even talk about Johnny Lang, who was in a blue shirt, because he had um, cleanup surgery, so to speak in the off season. Then you had gyro Brock and you even at Leonard glass, who is kind of a scat back. I actually noticed he changed on his, I don't know if he changed it. Maybe it's just always there. I noticed, uh, he was back up here for the spring game. And so I came across his Instagram and it says wide receiver at Iowa state university. So maybe he considers himself a receiver. Iowa state considers him a scat back who can play receiver or in the backfield. He's like five, eight, five, nine. So he's kind of a little shifty guy. So Uh, he'll be interesting to use. Maybe he's a running back. Maybe he's a receiver. But that's probably why Campbell feels so comfortable is they're going to have five or six guys. And they can almost go down the line. Like, as maybe if a guy doesn't work, they just keep trying things until one works. Now, you don't have a ton of time to figure that out. But I think they feel comfortable that a couple of these guys are going to be able to play. They think they all can play at the power five level. But a couple of guys are going to be able to take that production. I'm just most interested to see who starts August 31st. Maybe it's Kenei. Maybe it's Sheldon. Maybe it is Brees Hall. But I just have a feeling that it's going to follow that Montgomery plan, and maybe it won't. Maybe one of those older guys will really take the range this this first year. But another thing with the running back, too, is they're probably going to use these guys in different ways. The first practice we saw, they had um, Kene out as a receiver and put him in motion, and we heard a couple of different people this spring talk about them wanting to pass to the running backs more. So maybe guys are used in more ways than – just getting carries.
1: Yeah, and I think that is a good point in not maybe throwing the young guys to the fire right away. And history tells us that Campbell is a little bit more, I don't know if cautious is necessarily the right word, but is a little bit more uh, conscious of of kind of helping those guys and not throwing them to the fire. I mean, you think last year with Colin Newell, Um, was going to start the opener when Julinga Jones was suspended Um, didn't start against Iowa but then started against Oklahoma I I think Campbell's really aware of not putting guys maybe in tough spots even Um, Anthony Johnson at Texas exactly it's another example so I I think um, you know it's not a stretch to think maybe those young guys could have a starting role or be um, integrated a little bit more but I think uh, you know, odds are that those those more experienced guys, whether it is Nwangu or even if it's Crony, uh, again, I think, you know, that's pr- probably the way they're going to lean. But the, I think the running back position could look a little bit different just because of, again, going back to Purdy and maybe what his his skill
0: set is, you can do some different things and move guys around. And that, that we'll get to here when we wrap up the offense. But that was a common theme is that the offense could look in a few different ways, a little bit different. One of them is running back. Maybe they're throwing to Kane Nguyen, out of the backfield. Or even Brees Hall was a big pass catcher in high school out of the backfield. They have guys that can catch, and so maybe that's a way that they utilize those guys in different ways. The other ways I think the offense could look a little bit different based on what we heard in spring is tight end. I think last year they used double tight ends. I think Campbell said around 40% of the time, which seems high, but I, higher than what we saw on the field obviously he's going off what happened on the field but I think that's probably skewed because of the end towards the end of the year they're using a lot more double tight ends and that kind of leads into the spring is now they feel more comfortable with Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen Healthy and Dylan Saner. Um those three guys in particular obviously at the tight end position how much I wonder will we see double tight ends and how will they use those guys um, they're gonna have to be big red zone targets And uh, going back into the spring game, it sounded like they targeted Charlie Cooler a lot in the red zone. That's probably going to have to be one of their big roles is that big guy because Akeem Butler's gone. And maybe other guys step up, but they got to have big bodies in the red zone. And that's one way these guys can come into play. But um, it's going to be interesting to see how they're utilized because I think last year they combined for like 24 catches. And it's possible maybe one – alone has 20 catches this year that that's what's going to be the most interesting thing is do they really take that big step because two of them are juniors now
1: yeah obviously you can create matchups through running backs and wide receivers but it feels like it almost really starts with the tight ends and and some of the ways you can use them I mean going back to that uh practice that the media was allowed in we got to see them move tight ends around and Dylan Sainer was lined up as the fullback in the backfield off Purdy um and at six 270 that's a that's a hell of a guy to have back there as a lead blocker. So I think there are a lot of different ways he can use them. And, and Saner himself even said, um, you know, Sam Seenbuckner's role was the F tight end spot, but they're almost treating him as like a Y now. So he is a little bit more versatile and you can move him around. And then if, you know, you could even talk about splitting Chase Allen off a little bit and having him play unattached and having Charlie Kohler play attached. I mean, th- there's so many different ways to create matchups. And I think that's kind of maybe is what is what's tantalizing about that spot. And, um, you know, even not not talk about them as pass catchers or, or, or targets, just have it, seeing how they're going to line up, I think, and, and what ways that can help the running game as well, I think is, uh, you know, that that's going to be kind of one of the main things I'm going to look for in in the fall is, is as the offensive line kind of grows and then the way the tight ends have matured, what what are they going to be doing?
0: Yeah, it sounded like they're trying to go away from maybe even calling it BF because they don't want to pigeonhole what someone like Dylan Saner does. Now, Sam Seenbuckner, they'll say, they'll tell anybody was, is going to be a lot bigger loss than most people realize. And he was big part of the running game scheme. And he was a true kind of F. You know, he rarely was targeted out of the backfield, although he had some catches later in the season. But he was more so there for scheme-wise blocking. And that was a good thing and a bad thing. The good thing is he was that was a role that he was really good at. The bad thing, it sounded like his team started to scheme against him. So if Sam Seenbuckner came to the game, they kind of figured Iowa State was going to run. Now with Dylan Saner, he can catch. And so they think they can be a little bit more multiple in the sense that teams don't know that just because Dylan Saner's back there, they're going to run the ball. And so that's one thing. And then I think – Saner is a lot more capable than Sean Buckner. He can block, but he can split out wide. He can catch out of the backfield. And so uh, it sounds like they joked that I think he had the one catch last year's all, and it was on one target and for it was at, at the goal line for zero for yards. For zero yards.
1: Yeah, it's, they say they kind of, um, you know, they've ribbed them a little bit about it, but uh, I'm going to take the over if, if we're talking targets
0: Catches and yards, yeah. maybe even
1: touchdowns. I'll go
0: because they'll be able. To, I think they'll do some things with him out of the backfield, and maybe he won't even just be in the backfield. That guy, and it gets back to the whole point of that F position can kind of fade away, and it just becomes tight ends. And I don't know if they'll take it off the depth chart or whatever, because I think it's still a spot to. There's some walk-ons that they're really giving shots to be that Sam Buckner F type guy too. So I don't think they just wanted it to disappear. There's still a role for it, but like you said, Dylan Seiner is kind of more of a Y than he is just an F and that's what's going to be interesting is how those tight ends kind of fit into things. Cause we've heard a lot about what they're trying to do. Um, Chase Allen said there's been renewed energy since Tom Manning came back. I think Saner said that Manning, when he was at Iowa state, the first couple years were tell like, he didn't say it like Manning was joking that he would tell him, Hey, I don't really know how to use you guys. Now he's come back and he's used tight ends that are flexed out wide. He's used a tight end. That's an H back. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Charlie Kohler or, Chase Allen lined up like Hakeem Butler's X, not X. Um, I think the Z, where he's going against a, a safety, or they're going against a safety in the slot. So they're going to try to use him in different ways. I think just the question is going to be, they got to stay healthy, particularly Chase Allen. But it's going to be interesting to see the step those guys take because the position we're about to talk about, wide receiver, there's not a whole lot of knowns there. But that can be relieved a little bit if. if one or two tight ends becomes one of their top receivers it seems like under Campbell they've always had five or six receivers that have 20 plus catches maybe now it's just three or four receivers but a couple tight ends are in that picture it doesn't have to be five or six receivers that have those catches those tight ends can basically become receivers in terms of where those targets are going and where those receptions are being made
1: yeah because it's more than losing keen butler you lose Matt Eaton who wasn't You know, he didn't rack up a ton of catches or a ton of yards, but he was another kind of big body guy that they could go to. I think he had like 42 targets. Yeah, in some tight spots. So I think having the tight ends take a little bit of pressure off that because they are – probably the biggest guys on the field now, other than maybe like a Sean Shaw or or Joe skates at times. But uh, I I think you mentioned it. I think the red zone matchups is is where they're going to show up most, but they're, they're just going to, they're going to be so interesting in in how they make the offense look different than it's looked maybe in the last three or year, three years or so.
0: And it sounded like Purdy seemed pretty comfortable with Kohler. I think that was a connection that really developed us last season. And maybe that can take a next step where he's one of their top receivers now in 2019, and that leads to receiver where we just don't know what it's going to look like. You know, we know that number one is probably Tariq Milton. Number two is Deshante Jones. You could say 1A and 1B. Those are the top two receivers for Iowa State. We're going to see their targets increase. We're probably going to see their production increase. I mean, that would be Iowa State's hope is that target increase, you know, equals more production. So those are the one and two guys, but there's really not a clear three, four, five. And so that's kind of a two-part question is, one, who are the next guys in line? But, two, how deep do they need to be at receiver? And that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with talking about tight ends or running backs. Maybe they don't need five receivers like they've had in years past where it's Hakeem Butler, Deshante Jones, Tariq Milton, Matt Eaton, and Landon Akers and whatever. That I think last year it was five. The year before it was a little bit more like six. Maybe they don't need to get to five in terms of guys that are catching 20 passes. But who are even three and four? I think that's a big question that we have. And we've got names. The three names that Matt Campbell brought up um, when we talked to him for the last time was Joseph Skates, Sean Shaw, and Landon Akers. Two of those guys registered last year. Akers played a little bit. And uh, then Jalen Martin's in that picture. Josh Johnson's transferring, so he's out of the picture which of those guys step up. It doesn't sound like there's a clarity to that yet, but maybe by fall camp or the end of fall camp, Iowa State will know who's who's number three, who's number four or five or whatever.
1: Yeah, you gave me a lot to chew on there. Um, Landon Akers is in the mix too. So I think, um, you know, it sounds like Shaw and Skates have both maybe been kind of the guys that are 1A and 1B in terms of filling that third spot out there. Um, and Shaw is really interesting because he does have size – similar to what Butler had or similar to the tight ends in terms of height and so um, you know long arms makes him a threat to to be a a red zone target. Um, Skates is uh, came in ultra talented obviously had had his ups and downs last year off the field Um, but it sounds like he's come on and and really impressed and and been reliable so that that, that's a really big deal there Um, but I think they are going to have to rely on Deshante Jones and Tariq Milton at least early on because those guys are known commodities and um can do some different things I think it sounds like Milton's going to move from inside back to outside and really be kind of that that I guess what
0: was he the x be the x yeah he'd be the x what what Butler was and that's kind of the one interesting thing is like so he'll probably be the x we know Deshante would be the m like who's the z it could be um Landon Acres could be the Z, and then you put Shaw and Skates as kind of the other Z slash X's. And that's that's one of the things is just where do these guys play? And I think they like the flexibility. But one of my other questions is who's the backup M? Is it when they need when they take Deshante off the field, does it mean that Milton goes back inside to the M? Because none of these guys are really what we think of as the M but I'm sure several of the guys can play the M.
1: Yeah the first guy I know when we've talked kind of off mic here the first guy we've talked about is Carson Carson Schlecker does he come in I mean it it is just so unknown.
0: Yeah Um, we just have not heard a lot about him uh, and it's not it's too early to say that he can't do that because he's only going to go into his redshirt freshman year but He's not a name that's come up from coaches yet and that's still early in his career. And
1: and that's what's kind of um, you know, that's what's telling is we don't we don't we just don't know. And and that's kind of maybe where um you do get a little bit more creative with the offense. Maybe you put some big guys back there and you Leonard can, Glass is five Leonard, nine, Yeah, an and M. you mentioned if he's a wide receiver now, maybe he is the guy. So I, I think that's as we get into preseason camp and we get a depth chart. I mean, the depth chart we put together is just kind of based on our own observations and then just talking to these guys. So as we kind of get something a little bit more concrete, go get to see a preseason camp uh, practice, um, you know, get to big 12 media days and things like that, obviously it's going to get more clear as the season gets closer. But I, I think it just kind of, you know, s- spring practice is just kind of open eyes maybe to what possibilities the offense is going to have because there are so many different body types, so many different skill sets that they can look, totally different than they did last year having you know Milton a 5'11 guy play the x wide receiver and and you know use his speed as a little bit more of a mismatch and in, in,
0: instead of his size like they would have with Butler and one of the things with um with guys I guess coming along at receiver is just that I guess we don't know if the position's finalized yet either. There's still been talk about a grad transfer. Iowa State's still in the mix for Arkansas grad transfer, Michael Petway. I think he's six foot two. Uh, caught thirty passes for almost five hundred yards last year and several touchdowns. Um, he's still probably going to make a decision uh, sometime, probably in May. That's when he's going to graduate from Arkansas and then he's going to have to make that decision slash announcement. Um, I still think Iowa State's in pretty good shape with him, so. This roster might not necessarily be finalized. Those guys we talked about. If you could add a guy like Lamichael Petway from Arkansas to that mix, still, maybe he becomes your number three wide receiver at the Z, with Deshaunte Jones at the M and um, Tariq Milton at the X. And I don't want to just say that he comes in and he's the guy, but maybe he steps in and that bides Sean Shaw and Joseph Skates some time because it sounds he's like, at least
1: experienced, and that's kind of what they're maybe after.
0: Yeah, and and it sounds like Skates and Shaw have looked really good and shown flashes. But I think it's still going to be important for fans to remember that those guys are both redshirt freshmen. And you can't – just because Skates was, uh, I think, a four-star or right near a four-star, one of Iowa State's higher-rated recruits in a long time, doesn't mean that as a redshirt freshman he's going to go in and catch 30 passes. I think there's still got to be a little bit of patience with those guys. But if you can get a guy like Petway and if Akers can continue to make strides – you can give those guys a little bit more as the season goes along instead of having to expect something from them uh, right away on day one. I, yeah, I guess Jalen Martin could change things too. Like cause Tariq could play the Z. I think Tariq can play any of the three. So if someone like Jalen Martin breaks, breaks through finally as a junior, that changes things. But that's why Matt Campbell brought that position up along with defensive backs is not that they don't like the talent that they have there. It's that, they don't. They haven't seen other than t- two, I guess three guys. If you include Acres, they haven't seen any of those guys in actual action, and so they just don't know until they actually do it.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the crazy part. Is you know how loaded that room has been the last couple of years, but in, in terms of bodies and guys that have have gone out and done it. And not to say these guys can't or won't, but it is it is a lot different. Um, you know, and that, that's kind of been the theme with the is A lot changes when you lose. The kind of guys he lost but they've also kind of picked it up on the recruiting show with some of these guys too so uh, kind of sifting through all of it and kind of figuring out who fits where best is is you know kind of the mission of the
0: offseason so let's round out the offense by going to the offensive line and that's probably the position that could make a lot of these different things that we've talked about kind of tick Iowa State returned 63 of the 65 starts from last season Overall, they return uh, players who have combined for 114 career starts. So it's for sure the most experienced group since Matt Campbell's been here. He said the same thing to us recently that he said last year, I think, and that's that it finally looks like an offensive line. That's true. They look like an offensive line. It looks like a true power five offensive line. Um, That's obviously true. I mean, these four of the five guys that could start on day one or at least that went out there with the ones on the practice we saw – Were seniors. And so they they do look the part. He thought from midway point last season, they started to play the part. And that's that's the thing is, can that carry over now and take another step? Because um, kind of forgot about it till he brought it up. He said outside of the the false start penalties in the bowl game, which I think there were like seven or eight of them. Outside of that, he said they that was the first time they really physically imposed themselves on another team.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, again, Colin Newell, I think, did a lot of good things last season. That was obviously a tough game, kind of a different environment being indoors, and the cadences are weird. The timing gets thrown off like that, and, you know, when you kind of get into a different setting like that one was. But I think they did make progress, and I think they have the guys that can do it, obviously, um, you know, Josh Kniffle, I think, is, is an NFL player next year, and his progression has been really kind of interesting to watch because he played one year in junior college, and people, uh, he's just always felt more experienced than he actually maybe was, and that's a credit to him in terms of how quickly he was able to kind of assimilate. Um, and he was playing some right tackle this, this spring as well because Bryce Meeker was dinged up, so he was kind of moving uh, inside and out, and um, you know coaches said it was kind of interesting to watch him and how he was able to do that, maybe a little bit easier than they thought. So uh, they they have the guys that they know, but then there's guys like Trevor Downing and Joey Ramos who've who've been pushing, and it sounds like have have looked really good. And I think that's kind of maybe where things take a step. Is obviously those guys are still really young, and um, you know it's tough to come in and play as redshirt freshmen. But if the, if they're pushing those those guys up front, um, and the guys that are in line to start, then I think. It just it creates a better environment for the offensive line to take steps. Um, so seeing how that kind of shakes out with the experience combined with some of those younger guys kind of pushing for time, um, you know, is is going to be fascinating. I think this is probably the position that I'm most interested in seeing what it looks like uh, at the start of camp and then what it looks
0: like game one. Yeah, they definitely have made a lot of progress from 2016 spring ball to now 2019 spring ball as Campbell you know, has finished up year four of spring ball. But I think it, it's it's a process that's come a long way, but not necessarily complete. It's one that I, I don't know if people ever really fully grasped how much time it was going to take, because first you had to bring the guys in, and then you have to give them time to develop. You know, these guys don't come in and play like a Brees Hall can. They've got to it's probably spend at least, you'd hope, two years because you don't even really a lot of times want to play a redshirt freshman. And so that's the thing. Now, as they finally feel like they have the bodies, the, the five guys, like I said, that could start on game one, started 63 games last year. And the most positive thing, I think, for Matt Campbell and Jeff Myers and, and Iowa State's offensive staff is that you mentioned Downing and Ramos, and now even Robert Hudson's getting mentioned. That's three more guys that are still underclassmen going into the season. That gives them right away eight, and we haven't even mentioned Sean Foster's got experience. So I feel like they feel like they're probably at least nine deep, and they feel comfortable that – if Colin Olson got hurt or so-and-so got hurt that Trevor Downing can step in at guard or Rob Hudson or Joey Ramos can step in at right tackle if Bryce Meeker's hurt as he was for most of the spring or part of the spring. So they feel like they've got bodies and I have a feeling they're probably going to go more veteran for the first game, but it feels similar to running back where your leash is maybe a little bit shorter because if Trevor Downing's ready to play, and you're not performing, then they're not going to be afraid to make that switch. But maybe to begin, they'll give the benefit of the doubt to a Colin Olson. But I've seen kind of the people don't have anything against any of these guys like a Colin Olson. But pe- there's people that are just really, it seems like on social media, or on the message boards or whatever, that are kind of eager to. Because if a Trevor Downing takes that job, say, it makes them feel like, hey, maybe that means he's better than Colin Olson in, their, in the staff's minds. And maybe that means the offensive line is going to be better, but the very least, it seems like they've got a lot of bodies.
1: Yeah. And it sounds like the, the, that starting five minus Meeker maybe has spent a lot of time together this, this spring, but I think they have mixed and matched a lot to try to find maybe the right five. And, and obviously, like you mentioned, if, if injuries do happen, they can kind of plug in a guy and not miss a beat. Or if they do decide to make some sort of change, then it's not a totally foreign setup uh, having different guys play next to each other, because you know, that's something, especially when I was younger watching football and stuff, that's not something I necessarily appreciated as much, how difficult that position is, how much of it is about timing, how much of it is about being physical and, and having the familiarity with the guys next to you and being able to communicate things really quickly. So having, having the kind of foundation they have with those young, those older guys is obviously really important, but having young guys that are obviously talented and catching on quickly, I think, is is a, a benefit to that group because if even if they aren't getting in there and playing, they can kind of help those other guys along too. So it's, um, again, that's the group that is probably, it takes the longest to build. The lines do, um, especially offensive line, just because of how much of it is reactionary and, and discipline. But um, yeah, they've, they've certainly taken steps in the last few springs. We've spent
0: a half hour on the offense I think defense typically takes less time because it's broken down into more like three groups instead of five so I well, think n-
1: there were there were more questions on offense too so I think um yeah we d- we don't have to you know filibuster and, and go on forever here but there there that just kind of shows how much there is to actually talk about this team even though spring was status quo
0: to a certain extent yeah maybe it's us just trying to talk at, before we hit the doldrums of the offseason and there's nothing to really talk about but let's take a quick break here and then when we come back to the other side we'll finish up the episode and we'll recap Iowa State's spring ball on the defensive side and we're back here on the Cyclone Scoop let's Dylan switch to the defensive side like I said I think this one will go a little bit faster there there aren't as many questions and in, in, that's partially because I think especially up front there's not a ton of questions Iowa State returns all 36 starts from last year on the defensive line That's a big positive. The biggest negatives, I guess maybe it wasn't a negative in the spring, but the biggest maybe storyline in the spring was that they were a little bit light-handed. You had Matt Leo, I don't think really participated at all. He had uh, cleanup surgery and was a limited participant, if anything. Jaquan Bailey missed most of the spring, was in a cast, although Matt Campbell said he should be fine in a couple weeks. Cordarius Bailey, who I think was the backup defensive end to Jaquan Bailey in the practice we saw, which was practice number two, also in a cast. So you have three guys are out, and they were kind of at times, I think, deferring to some young guys. So it was a negative in the sense that they would maybe had to deal with some injuries, but it actually might have ended up being a positive because a lot of these young guys got quite a few quality reps going against a number one offensive line.
1: Yeah. Uh, I obviously – you know, you'd have liked to have everybody. You can afford Jaquan maybe sitting out a little bit because of how much he's played. You'd have liked
0: Cordarius Bailey and Matt Leo in there. Especially Cordarius if he really is going to be the number two defensive end yeah. behind Jaquan. He He's a guy that went from defensive end to linebacker last year, now back to defensive right. end. He could have used those reps.
1: Yeah, it's it was really important for him just given how how young he is still. But that afforded opportunities for guys like Tucker Robertson who played in inside last year to move outside and play a little. It obviously opened up things for guys like Blake Peterson and Zach Peterson, um, but Zach Peterson, I think, was going to be in there anyway in some sort of capacity, maybe behind Any Uazrike. Uh, but I think that group is—it's been pretty incredible to watch how how quickly they built that group up and how effective they can be and obviously you know ray lima is a big part of that in the middle but then um they've really kind of created depth even in that three-man front with that nose tackle spot in jamal johnson who i think had a really good year last year and then isaiah lee at six foot and 284 as a redshirt freshman is coming on and um you know got some experience last year too the west virginia game when um Ray Lima was out with a concussion. He came in and had some really critical snaps uh, that he played. So uh, yeah, yeah, obviously you'd like to be as, as, um, you know, have as many guys in there as possible to be able to go through spring drills, but you do get to kind of see maybe what's behind the curtain a little bit with some
0: of those young guys. And there's not as many, obviously there's not as many questions on the line, but I think, so we won't belabor this and kind of make a all these stuff that's not really there. But one of the biggest things in 2019 might be actually trying to work some of those guys in when you can, whether that's Isaiah Lee or Zach Peterson or Blake Peterson. Um, Blake Peterson's a guy that came up a couple times on unprompted. And I think that's partially because he got, you know, some run, but he, he already kind of looks the part. If you kind of see him up close, he's got some size. And now he's here several months early. Uh, Eli Rashid already said Corey Suttle another defensive end who will come in this summer in that class they're already talking about maybe seeing how much they can play him within his four-game redshirt rule but I think that might be one of the big things in 2019 is they've got to get some of those guys ready because they're going to lose Jaquan Bailey, Matt Leo, Jamal Johnson and Ray Lima that's four of your probably top seven or eight linemen that you lose after next season and you want those guys like Peterson and both Petersons. There's a lot of Petersons now. There's a lot of Bailey's. You
1: know, Eli Rashid said that they, everybody has a nickname, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't, he, tell, he, us he wouldn't tell us. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of
0: it. They got fall. three Baileys and two Petersons right now. So, um, but you know, they've got to get those guys ready for 2020. I know that's not as important as them winning games, but that's going to be kind of a maybe a hidden little thing that's going to be interesting in 2019. Is they've got to get those guys ready. But it's a good problem to have that they've got so many veterans that. I was trying to think, and we can end on the defensive line here. Is this is Iowa State's best defensive line under Campbell? But I wonder, like, when the last time they've had this experience of a line or this good of a defensive line? Period. I mean, you're probably going back to McCarney, but I, I'm not enough of a history buff right off the top of my head to think what year that would be. But that those are the years you got to think of. Maybe the years they had like guys like Sean Moorhead, who wasn't maybe who was a really good walk on turned scholarship player. I mean, he's from my high school, but I don't know his. If you ever got Come a scholarship, he got to brush up, but he, uh, he was obviously really good, but you're not even talking about an NFL player. So, I mean, it's Ray or Jaquan Bailey could both be NFL guys.
1: Yeah. That 2005 defense is usually the benchmark one that people go back to in terms of, uh, its strength. So I guess maybe you'd say that, but uh, again, I, you know, this, this could be, when, you, when it's all said and done, if you have the full complement of guys, it could be almost as talented a defensive line as
0: they've ever had. And that defensive line could combine with the linebacker group to, I think, be one of their best front – we'll call it a front six because it's a three-three-five still. But front six slash front seven depend if they ever go a four-man front, which I don't think they showed a whole lot of in spring. But John Haycock's always kind of tinkering. But So we'll say the front six – with Mike Rose and Marcel Spears back, plus all those defensive linemen we talked about, they're looking pretty good with five of the six. The big question at linebacker is the sixth spot. It sounds like Will McDonald spent most of the time there, but Chandler Pulvermacher's there. And the big question there is, does Will McDonald take that and run with it, or is it situational where it's by committee? That's Tyson Vite uh, Iowa State linebacker's coach. He said that's kind of his big question is, does someone take that spot and run with it, or is it going to be a third linebacker spot, Willie Harvey spot um, that is just up for grabs based on the situation by committee is what is the term he used?
1: Yeah, that's the tough thing is because all the guys that are candidates to fill that are young. So how they develop, um, you know, Matt Campbell almost, r- almost raved about Will McDonald again in terms of his athleticism and and what he brings to the position because he is so different at 6'4 and
0: 220. I think he's listed. So They'd and, probably like to get him up to Mike Rose's weight, which is 240, and that right. will – maybe he'll add some this offseason. He'll take some time, but if he gets up to 240, he could be scary because they already rape about him at 220.
1: Yeah, and he – it's kind of funny watching him run around without pads there. He still looks like a basketball player, which was his background in high school, but uh, he's hes a big kid. And and the thing about him is you can, you can be so much more versatile at, at some point. I don't know if it's going to be this year. It, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but um, – because he switched over from defensive line, became a linebacker, and because of his size, because of his speed and ability to close on guys, I think um, it creates a, a some unique matchup potential for that defen- defensive front because you can put him and disguise him. As a defensive lineman, you can move him back into coverage. Um, again, the, the possibilities there are numerous. So I think having him is is probably ideal because I think he could be one of your best 11 guys on defense. But again, um, you know Chandler Pulvermacher has done really well, and Gary Vaughn uh, is a guy that's been brought up too. So there are some guys there to fill that spot. But in terms of running with it, taking it away and running with it, um, you know, it it's so hard to say because you're dealing with such young guys still.
0: I have to think it's going to be Will McDonald, just with everything we've heard. The the phrase that stood out to me, or I guess the quote that stood out me, from, to me from Matt Campbell was that it's been fun for them to mold their defense around McDonald. It's almost to me like this move was kind of twofold. One, they moved him to linebacker because Jaquan Bailey is going to be the guy at that defensive end spot, and, and they think McDonald needs to play, which kind of leads into the second point is They think Will McDonald's one of their best 11 players, and so they're going to mold things around something that fits him. But the way Campbell said it, that they're molding things around him, he's different than Willie Harvey, and he's different than other linebackers that they've put at that spot. But it it almost makes me think, like, he might be the guy. Like, I think he's got to be the guy when the season starts, just the way they're talking. But also, he must be – they obviously think he's pretty good if they're – if they just think he's one of the best eleven players, and they're going to try to fit him into that role. The biggest thing with him is probably going to be how does he drop back into coverage because that's not really something you're obviously doing at defensive end. Um, but I haven't asked this yet, and I wonder is like maybe some of what they'll ask him to do is what the Leo used to be at Toledo. Jaquan Bailey spot is not really what the Leo used to be at Toledo. I don't think. I think it's just kind of a defensive end spot. I think that Toledo that Leo spot at Toledo was kind of a stand up guy who can drop back or rush. And yeah, so
1: did they play a four man front?
0: Yeah, a lot more. Tally- than, so I mean, it wasn't really always, it, it was more of like a four, two, five, right. Rather, it used to be a four, two, five. Now it's become a three, three, five. And that third linebacker, the one that I guess, Will McDonald's playing. And this was interesting too. Eli Rashid brought this up that, so Eli Rashid brought it up. And then I, the next time we got linebackers and Tyson Vite, I asked him and he kind of said that they hadn't done this yet, but I think it was Eli Rashid said that, And you mentioned that if Will McDonald assimilates to all this stuff, they can stay in the same package. So the same personnel on the field, they don't have to, they don't have to rotate someone off the field and he can become a defensive, technically a stand-up rusher and just, they can switch between a four and a three man front. Now it doesn't sound like they'd practice that a lot, or maybe they're just not saying that, but if he becomes and he, it kind of goes back to the same thing. People have to remember he's a redshirt freshman in the same way, you know, of Skates and Shaw and some of those guys that have a lot of excitement around him. And not everybody's Brock Purdy and Mike Rose. But if he, in the years ahead, not even just 2019, can become that, um, maybe that's what the Leo was. Maybe it, it. Maybe that's not even right. But he could become a unique piece because if you can drop him back into coverage or bring him off the edge, at six foot four alongside a 6'3 linebacker, at, at middle linebacker. That's a pretty good linebacker group for years to come because the only guy in that um, group that's a senior is Marcel Spears, which doesn't get talked about. Is we, we don't talk about Marcel Spears a lot, which is probably a good thing because everyone's so intrigued by Will McDonald and Mike Rose and now Chandler Povermacher and Gary Vaughn.
1: Yeah, and those guys have come along really well. Again, I think, um, you know, it's kind of – Marcel Spears' career felt like it's – Gone kind of fast. I mean, he was a redshirt sophomore, um, you know, a couple of years ago when he had the pick at Texas Tech. Uh, that was so big and just how transformative he's been the last couple of years to help kind of give that um, linebacker core some stability. And then Mike Rose, obviously, what he did, um, having those two guys solidified while they try to figure out this
0: third spot with all young guys, um, is a real positive. And we haven't mentioned a Ryan Vance backup middle linebacker, Jake Hummel, Jake Hummel backup to Marcel Spears. They're probably seven deep, at least, if Vaughn and Pulvermacher and McDonald really all come along by fall. They could be as many as seven deep, which is deeper than last year. And we know Campbell, and we saw them rotate in Jake Hummel and Orion Vance a lot more last year than they've ever rotated linebackers. If they can really be seven deep, that makes that front six, we'll call it again, um, really good. And that front group could be really good. The back group, you know, the back, I guess, five, <laughs> with safeties and corners Campbell brought it up as a question along with receivers. And I think it's, it's valid to be a big question. You've got someone who's known in Greg Eisworth, but Dayton young and Anthony Johnson, probably your two starting corners have combined for seven career starts. Braxton Lewis is back, but there's some questions at safety and just inexperience at, on the edges. And I think that's where it comes back for Campbell. When he brought that up, that they've got to see how that, that I think probably corner especially comes along They feel good just like Skates and Shaw, but those guys haven't been put under the lights a ton, at least with Daytron Young and Anthony Johnson. They've done a little bit and at a high level in some of those later Big 12 games.
1: Those guys do have Florida swagger, though. That, yeah. was one of, that was one of the big things that they they talked and, about.
0: And they'll get some help with Justin Bickham, who has started 23 games to their combined seven, which is a big addition, just for that matter.
1: Well, it's it's huge. Again, it, you you feel good about maybe what those guys bring talent wise to the table, and they did get some experience. And I thought it played really well. I thought Daytron Young, um, you know, they call him Speedy, and I thought he was really good in coverage. Um, playing opposite Brian Peavy, and then Anthony Johnson came in. Um, it, well, he he had played a, a little bit. Um, you he know, played like a,
0: eleven or twelve he, games. He played,
1: 11. but in, in as a rotational piece. And then but after, it really started in West Virginia. Right. So I think those guys obviously. You know not not even just the early games that they would have gotten in, but they, they were in some pretty big moments. Anthony Johnson played a ton uh, against Texas. And again, um, you know, that was a tough game overall for everybody, but getting those types of experiences is only going to help you as you get into the to the next year in the off season and the next year. So, Seeing kind of who who fits in around them. I mean, who who plays that that field safety? I think is what um, John Haycock was calling it because he mentioned Greg Eisworth as the star. Yeah, I was a little. No. Con-
0: I'm a little confused now because the depth chart has never had Eisworth at star, and I don't think he's played. it. So maybe they did just switch him in the spring. But I was under the impression that him and he was like the left. They've changed the names a lot, but like the left or left safety, right safety, free safety, strong safety. That's what they've, they've gone through iterations of those names. And then the star has always been there. And uh, Haycock said that Eisworth is playing the star, which is what DeAndre Payne played last year. But they also had Braxton Lewis play it some. Uh, so I don't know. If he's at the star, then that completely changes my thought. It's, I, I guess for now, until they tell us what the actual naming of that safety that he's going to play is, you just have to think about who are the three safeties and not free safety, three safeties. Braxton Lewis, Greg Eisworth are probably two of them. And then it's like, is it Lawrence White? um, Amici Walker. Amici Walker, Arnold Arnold Azuna. Those are kind of the three guys that are in that mix. Um, So so I just don't know how how to do that. DK McDonald had made it sound like Arnold Azuna and Amici Walker were battling at star. So I'm kind of confused on the naming. So that's why I'm kind of just going with the thought that um, it's just who are the three guys more so (laughs) than. which safety are they actually playing? And we'll figure out which safety they're actually playing when Campbell gives us a depth start in July.
1: And then you, you mentioned Bickham. How does he fit into the equation? Does he take one of those cornerback spots? And then does Anthony Johnson move to, to one of those positions? I mean, they I mean,
0: think um, Bickham can play safety as well. They think uh, he plays corner or safety. So basically it just feels like they're they're racking up some guys, but who kind of falls where is the big question. I think Anthony Johnson and Datron Young probably start at the corners unless Bickham comes in and moves one of them to safety. Then we have Eyesworth and Lewis, who we know are probably going to be kind of shoe-ins, at least as of now. It's like, who takes that third safety spot? And the backups at corner, I think, is a big question, too, because you got Tavon Kyle, Keontae Jones, Javion Morton. They like all three of them, but they've never really even played much at all, let alone started. So it's just just a lot of inexperience. And I think it's not that Iowa State doesn't like those guys back there. Um, It's just it's more of an unknown. It's like receiver where you just haven't – proven anything outside of two guys and it's the same thing at defensive back Eisworth and Braxton Lewis have proven themselves uh Daytron Young and Anthony Johnson have to an extent but it's just a lot of unproven stuff and so they really like the talent at receiver they really like the talent at corner but like Campbell said and he likes to say this like until they get under the lights until they do it he's not going to be sold that this is you know the best group they've ever had
1: yeah and that's kind of it, that's the interesting thing about this group is they're either you know really experienced at some of those positions and have played a ton, or um, or it, it's the total opposite and they've not really seen the field at all. There's no like modicum of um, you know being a rotational player and now stepping into a a starting role that's more natural. It's either all in or none. But that's not necessarily a negative. But it is it is a hurdle and something that's maybe a little bit more challenging to figure out is who fits in what, what spot best and um, what happens when the games are played.
0: Okay, let's begin to wrap this up. There's a lot of time between now and August 31st to probably ramble about these things another time or two, but... Um... Do you want to talk about special teams, like any quick hitters on special teams, or should we just gloss over that and save it for another day?
1: We, we can do a quick hitter. Uh, that was something that wasn't talked about a ton um, in, in spring drills. There's no special teams coordinator position, so it makes it a little bit different. Um, but um, they return everybody too. So I think that's, that's kind of the intriguing part is do those guys kind of just step into those roles with uh, Connor Asali being the place kicker and um, Corey Dunn, the punter, and then who's the kickoff guy too. So, uh,
0: yeah. It, the, we one, can... the one thing at special teams, I think, is they return what uh, an elite kick returner in Canaan DeWongru. Whatever happens at running back, he's the kick returner. And Treek Milton has potential to be an elite punt returner, it looked like. So we we're pretty much know where, we're, where this team is going in terms of punt return and kick return. Corey Dunn's probably the punter, like you said. The big question is probably kickoff. You know, if, does Braden Arvison, who supposedly has the strongest leg, can he take that job and at least do something, you know, in his redshirt freshman year? Or does Connor or Sally take it? Or Peyton Paddock was the kickoff guy in the Drake game. Um, and that was sounds like by design from the beginning, they wanted to give him that. So maybe he's a guy, but there's still competition ongoing there. But I'm sure... Sort of, like you said, we didn't talk to, there's no special teams coordinator anymore. So we didn't talk to anyone specifically. We didn't even actually, now that I think about it, I didn't even think about it. We didn't talk to punters or kickers No, no I, I in the spring. And so. we,
1: we kind of knew that was coming. And um, somebody had asked the question of, of Campbell, the very first availability we had for spring, just kind of what it was looking like. And he just kind of said basically what we did uh, here. And the last time we got him, it wasn't really brought up either. So I guess it kind of fits the theme of, of the unknown a a little, to a certain extent. I mean, you have guys that have gone out there and done it, but exactly what they're thinking in terms of um,
0: of the off season in the coming years is is a little bit up in the air. Okay. So I'll end with this. Is there any big thing that maybe stood out that you're, you think remains to be answered or any big takeaway um, as Iowa State now goes into what's really the true off season?
1: Yeah, I think, um, Again, I'll always talk about the offensive line, and I won't beat that to death here. But I think um, that's that's kind of—I don't want to say it's the final step, but that's the biggest step. Iowa State still has to make is is being consistent and and being in a group that 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 um, that the team can rely on, that the offense can rely on, that Purdy can rely on. So what that group looks like come fall is is going to be fascinating. And then um, Will McDonald, the linebacker, if they do kind of if he does end up being the guy that takes that that role and runs with it how they can kind of tailor hit him into the defense a little bit and what kind of things they run for him and and maybe the the looks that they give uh it, it's it's going to be really interesting and, and fun to see how that changes things so i guess kind of going on both sides of the ball those are the two things that um you know
0: i took away most and and things i'll be paying attention to in the fall my biggest question, I tried to ask it to a lot of different people through the spring. We kind of got answers, but I don't think we're going to know until we actually see a game is what does Tom Manning's return actually mean in terms of the offensive identity. I asked Matt Kim about uh, multiplicity, and he said we used to, we'd make fun of him about it. I don't remember ever. He, making... must,
1: he must have read my story. Well, I was going to say he must have read my story, but I didn't even make a Michael
0: Keaton multiplicity reference in the story. So maybe. But, but that is my big question is, Will it change? Because we've heard them talk about using running backs more out of the backfield to pass to. We heard them talk about using tight ends differently, whether that's flexed out wide, two tight ends flexed out wide, two tight ends attached, different things like that. Um, We just heard a lot of different things about how they could do different things on offense that uh, Brock Purdy was having to adjust to some different terminology, and different schemes because he's brought back new ideas from the NFL. I want to see what that actually looks like. And we've heard stuff about it. But we don't know what that actually looks like. So that's probably my biggest thing is like how different could this offense look now that they have a full offseason to game plan around Brock Birdie's strengths and what he does and have Tom Manning back with supposedly new ideas. That's probably my biggest thing is is um what the offense is gonna look like. And I don't think we'll find out. Even in Fall Camp, we probably won't find out until they play you and I and then the weeks beyond that. So
1: Yeah, I was gonna say we might not even find out until that game. Yeah, they game. might not show
0: anything against you and I yeah it the, seems like that especially with the bye week that next week they might just continue teams always want to get vanilla as much as they can until conference but sometimes you have to show stuff so it'll be fun to guess until then so we'll, we'll probably do this all again in fall camp we'll get all the coaches and all the position players again but hopefully this gives you something to think about as Iowa State goes into the offseason uh thanks for listening to this edition of the Cyclone Scoop you can find Dylan's work uh I, in the Ames Tribune or at AmesTrib.com. Obviously, you can go to CycloneAlert.com uh, to get the latest from me at 24-7 Sports. So that'll do it for this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. Probably have some recruiting and some other off-season stuff coming up, the long off-season waits, but uh, hopefully this is enough to hold you over. Thanks for joining me, and I'll talk to you next time.